So um, last week we started a brand new series called Gospel in Life by a guy called Tim Keller. Each and every single week there is a DVD that comes along with this and the preachers, Dennis, uh, Chris, uh, Denise and myself have that option as to whether or not to show the DVD. Last year I had the amazing opportunity of going to see Tim Keller live um, and I just think he's an incredible speaker. I think he has a lot to offer. So, you know, he's been compared by some people to the modern day C.S. Lewis, maybe going too far, but I do think it's worth listening to. So what I'm going to do today is I'm going to speak for about 10 minutes to kind of introduce the topic, and then um, we're going to play the DVD, which is also about 10 minutes long, and then I'll spend about five minutes uh, closing that, and then we'll offer you the opportunity, as always, to receive prayer. So before we get into that, let me just tell you about what the series is and where we hope to go with this, because I think that's, that's it's quite important. But essentially, gospel in life is really uh, asking the question of how the gospel, the good news about God, the message about God is lived out in each and every area of our life, in everything we do. And there's a tagline that comes with it called grace changes everything. And this is, this is the amazing thing. When you're really impacted by the grace of God, it should change the way we do and the way we relate to everything around us. That's the, that's the presumption. So last week, Chris spoke on kind of where we are now. So he was talking about the fact that we're in the city. Um, and then the last week, week eight, we'd talk about the eternal city, that is heaven. Now, between now and heaven, we're, we're called to live in this grace, to live in this, uh, this gospel and be not trying to hide from the world, not trying to just comply with everything around us, but trying to live a completely different life and affect and change everything around us with that grace and that gospel. And so we start off with this journey by looking at how that changes us from the inside out, and then we'll look at how it affects our relationships, how it changes our relationships with our Christian and non-Christian friends. And then it looks at our attitude our mentality in, in the workplace. And then finally, we finish off with um, how we uh, live and relate to the world around us. But before we go on and look about how we go, the gospel affects and changes the world around us, we, we've got to take a step back and, and look at us and where it all begins. And I'm going to start by reading a, a verse out of Colossians, Colossians 1.6. Uh, by all means, if you don't have a Bible, we would love to give you one. There'll be one on the welcome desk, just go and ask one, um, and that would be absolutely for free. But it, let me just read this. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. And that's the key. So the gospel is bearing fruit uh, since the moment you heard it and truly understood God's grace. And what, is, what it's saying there is not that you just understand that you know it, that you, kind of, you, can, you can kind of write it out or you can tell someone the message about God. But that actually is lived, breathed, you've taken grasp of it, it's, it's truly understood, truly lived out, not just in your heads, but in your hearts, that, that, that God's grace is really part of you and affects, affects everything that you do and, and everything that you, you kind of lead into. And it's only at that, that point does the gospel of which we, we follow, we know, and we believe start to affect the world around us. So before anything we do, um, before anything, anywhere we go, we, we have to start by looking at where it begins, which is in our hearts. Um, but the interesting thing is it's easy for us to know something. It's easy for us to have the head knowledge without necessarily believing it and responding to it in our hearts. And um, 
I've got, a, I've got a great story for you. So uh, last week, I went to the pub to celebrate someone's birthday in the PM. And, uh, and I, I know each and every single person in this room will relate to this. So I, I saw this familiar face across the room. Uh, and you do what you always do. You, you kind of catch their eyes, you go close to them. They get up and there's real excitement. And we're like, oh, it's great to see you. How are you doing? How's life? Oh, it's been so many years, hasn't it? Are you, are you working? Are you keeping, you know, how, how are your health? And you go through this entire conversation. And after about three or four minutes, I had to cave. And I said to him, I said, I'm really sorry. Who are you? Anyway, he, uh, he, we, we got into the conversation about just asking what we did for work. And uh, I, I said to him, I said, oh, well, I work in a church, I'm an, uh, I'm an assistant pastor there. And you know, sometimes that can kill a conversation. Like, that's, that's the end of the conversation. You can consider that friendship gone, and you, you might as well go off for a drink, and never, you, if you make eye contact, it's gonna be really awkward. But in this, search, in this case, the complete opposite happened. Like no, no longer had I said that, that he launched into this incredible story uh, and he started it with this. He said, I am not a prophet, just clarify, I am not a prophet, but I feel like I've heard from God. I was like, wow, this is gonna be interesting, I like this. And so he, um, he started off by saying that um, he, uh, one day he was around a friend's house and uh, he went to his friend's house and his friend was really upset. I think he'd, his girlfriend had cheated on him or something. And he said, mate, don't you worry, all right? It's all right. I'm going to go and get us some weed, and we're, we're just going to smoke the night away. It's, don't worry. Don't worry about it. Leave, him, leave it to me. I'm liking where the story's going. <laughs> Interested. And, then, um, and so he left the house, and, and he hadn't got very far before he realized he had absolutely no money. And uh, he had no idea how he was going to get any drugs whatsoever. He was, he was just lost. And, and up until this point, he was a very strong atheist, had no interest in the gospel, no interest in God. And, uh, but at this point, you know, in this place of desperation, we've all been there probably, and we, he kind of said one of those quick prayers. He just kind of closes his eyes and said, God, you know, if you're real, would you help me? And literally, he opened his eyes, and there on the floor in front of him was an ounce of weed. <laughs> Isn't God real? I mean, this is, no. Now, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not encouraging praying for that because I, I, I honestly don't think, well, I personally don't think God would answer that, but I don't know. He works in mysterious ways. Um, but he was absolutely convinced from that that God was real. He had gone from this completely strong atheist into this thing. And in fact, and this, I love this bit, he, he then got really excited. He said he read the Bible once and he, this verse suddenly came to his mind as he did that. He said, you yeah, know, and, and in Genesis 1.12, it says, and the, and the earth brought forth grass, the herb that yields according to its kind. Absolutely convinced that God was real. And so we got talking about this and... Um, and, and, and it was amazing, actually, just here in his heart, you know, in his reading of the Bible, you know, he, he basically said, he read the Bible because as an atheist, he said, I need to know my enemy. I need to know, you know, who it is that's against me. And so he read the whole Bible, the Quran, the, uh, everything else, basically. And he, he, deter- he kind of determined, he's concluded from reading the Bible, he said that God is loving and that he's forgiven. Which I thought was brilliant. But he said that, uh, as, he, as he was thinking about this, he kind of thought, well, generally, I, I guess if I just live a relatively good life, if I don't do anything really bad, then one day I'll get to heaven and God will look at me and he'll go, oh, 
Oh, I love you. Oh, I forgive you. Come on in. You know, in some respects, you know, that's, that's quite sweet to hear. I love the progress. I love how God has reached out to him. But there's something about his life that although he kind of understood it, he didn't necessarily live out. There was no real change in his heart. He hadn't really been, he hadn't really truly understood God's grace, the extent of God's grace. He, uh, you know, while he understood that God has forgiven, he misunderstood the gospel. The gospel being that he didn't understand that God hates sin so much with a passion. It is totally against everything that God is. That the punishment for sin is death. There's no getting out of that. There's no escaping that. That's how serious sin is. But he also didn't realize that God loves people so much more that he had made it entirely possible through Jesus Christ dying on the cross for someone to, to have that sin paid for them that they could then come to know Jesus, uh, then come to know God. And because he hadn't really grasped this, he hadn't truly understood God's extensive grace, that there was no change inside of him. Instead, he believed that God would be so impressed with him, not with anything else, but with, with this guy, that he would have no choice but to accept him into heaven. As far as it con- he was concerned, he had nothing to do with God. God was just a nice old man. It had everything to do with him and what he had done. He had not truly understood God's grace. You know, sadly, this is true for many people. For many people that, uh, that go through life or have a vague understanding of Christianity, a vague understanding of God, they think that as long as they're not too bad, They'll get before God and they'll be able to point to some of the good things that they've done. And they'll be able to stand before him man to man, face to face, as if that was possible. And they'd, and they'd just show you know, that they're not all that bad and God would have no choice but to accept him into heaven. Because after all, they'd earned it. The really sad thing, the thing that grieves me more than anything is that actually there's Christians who are not all that different and are sometimes just as confused. In our heads, we can know this. We can know the extent, the, the absolute, you know, the wages of sin are death. We can know this in our head. And that God has made it possible through Jesus dying on the cross. We can know this in our head, but in our hearts, we're not 100% convinced. There's still part of us that goes, well, as long as I'm a Christian, that's the first thing. And if I get to heaven, as long as I've lived a good life, if I've prayed and if I've read the Bible, if I've been nice to other people, and I haven't done the bad stuff, I haven't slept around, I haven't got drunk often, I haven't you know, done drugs excessively, as long as I can kind of check those boxes and, and show to God that I'm, not, I'm, I'm a good person, I'm a good Christian, then God would have no choice but to say, okay, you've done well, come on in. So whether it's the irreligious way, like my friend who, who was totally convinced that God you know, was gonna accept him, or whether it's the religious way of doing everything right and hoping that you'd earn that salvation. At the end of the day, in both cases, they believed that they were gonna save themselves. They had little to do with God and everything to do with the way that they lived. And in both, in both cases, although there had been some kind of understanding of the gospel, they had not been truly understood, truly believed in our hearts, not just in our heads, the extent of which God had done. And so at the end of the day, 
the irreligious person doing what they want, the religious person trying to tick all the right boxes, can be just as lost. And we'll see that unfold in the DVD. I think Tim Keller <clears throat> does that really well. Uh, he started off the DVD talking about there's uh, three ways to live. There's the gospel way, the religious, irreligious way, and there's the religious way. And then he finished off the DVD by talking about uh, there's three ways to life. And so what I'm going to do is just going to run through those. And I'm just going to tell you a little story at the end. And then we're going to close. And as I said, opportunity for prayer as always. The first thing of those, the first step really is that initiating love of the Father. I just love that pointing out that the Father doesn't just run up to the hill to meet the younger son. But also he, he leaves the party, he leaves the celebration to come out to the older son. No one is left behind, no one is lost because the Father initiates the love by stepping out and reaching out to each and every single one of them. Each and every single one of us, wherever we are. And the second step on that is, is that repentance, is that accepting the invitation. And we can do nothing if we, if we don't accept that invitation and lay down uh, the, the dependence on the good things or dependence uh, or the, the kind of trappings of the bad things. We need to let go of that and repent and, and, and make that journey. Follow God back into that home. Make that journey home. Start that journey home. And then finally, we need to see the cost uh, that Jesus paid. Now, I think this is the, this is the really important one. If it ever reach, goes from my head to a heart, it's this need, needing to see the cost that Jesus paid. Now, for each and every single one of us, you know, we need to get in, into God's presence and we need to just sit there and pray and ask God to show us. Just meditate on this and think about it because without it hitting from our heads to our hearts, it's just information. For me, I, as always when I preach, I can't just preach uh, knowledge. I have to feel it before I do it. And as I, as I was praying about this uh, leading up to the sermon, and, and I found this one a lot harder because I needed it to hit deeper than it has before. And I felt like God kind of gave me an image from, from myself, really. And I want to share that today. And it may mean nothing to you. It may just encourage you to go and, uh, and to hear God for yourselves. Or it may mean something. But it, it was essentially this. Um, actually, before I do that, let me read uh, Colossians 2, 13 to 14, puts into context. It says this, when you were dead in your sins and the, in, in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, in other words, you were still owing to God. You, you haven't received God's forgiveness yet. It was at that point that God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all, us all our sins having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, having canceled the, the debt that we owed God, which stood against us and, concern, and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And the really key bit is that last phrase, nailing it to the cross. Now, while we can see Jesus now to the cross, that actually is it's kind of referring to something slightly different. When someone was crucified, when someone was nailed to the cross, there was also a sign that was hammered and nailed to the cross as well. And that sign would have the crime for which that person was being punished. So whether it was that person was a liar, a thief, a, a blasphemer, or you know, whether they were a murderer, an adulterer, whatever it was would be written out, the crime would be detailed, and then hammered to the cross so that each and every person could not just see them suffering, but see the reason why they're suffering. 
And as I was praying about that, I got this kind of picture. I, I, I sensed that God has, has sent that invitation. I was challenged by, by what was being said. I knew I needed to start that journey home. I knew I needed to realize that there was still wondering if I was dependent on some of the good things that I was doing to earn my way in, if I'd really accepted all of it. And I heard that invitation. You may have heard it from someone. You may have read it in the Bible. You may have just felt the prompting of the Spirit. I heard that invitation. I, I knew that I needed to get right with God. I knew I wasn't totally connected, if you will. And so I laid stuff down and started that journey home. And as I prayed about that, I, I kind of imagined taking a journey home. I imagined in a car or whatever and driving home. And, and then, as you do, coming across a crucifixion by the side of the road. And um, at that point, it was kind of like looking at a car crash. You kind of needed to slow down and take it in and see what happened. And so I slowed down and, and climbed out of the car and, and kind of, you know, this is all kind of in my imagination, if you will, God prompting, but I kind of imagined making my way through the crowd and, 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 and at that point hearing the horrible sound of that metal hammer hitting that metal nail, that massive clonk. And at that point, hearing the screams of a man in agony as a nail was driven through his hand and his other hand and his feet. And part of me was disgusted. Part of me was shivering inside. But part of me really wanted to see what this man was being punished for what crime he had committed that deserved such a horrible punishment. And so I, I kind of continued to make my way through the crowd, and at that point, the cross was elevated. It was put in its place. And you see the man, you see this man covered in blood. And you see nothing more than a disfigured human being, but the tears of agony streaming down his face. The cries of agony. And at that point, I, I try to tear my eye away from this repulsive image just to catch a glimpse of that sign, just to catch a glimpse of what it was that he was being punished for. And as I looked at that sign, it wasn't murder. It wasn't thief. It wasn't adultery. All it said on there was Richard's sin. Your sin at that point, I quickly cowered away. I, I quickly hid myself. Oh my God, there's been a mistake. You know, what if someone sees? What if someone points out this mistake? But after a couple of moments, I realized there was no mistake. There was no mistake. What had happened is God, when he sent out his invitation, his initiating love to invite me back home, as I started that journey, God knew that on the way back, I would have to settle this debt. And he knew because I'd have to settle that debt, I would actually never make it home. And God didn't want that. And so what he did is he sent out my older brother, your older brother, who went ahead of you. He got to that place where they were asking that that debt be settled. And he said, yeah, I'll do it. I'll pay that debt. I'll take Richard's place on that cross. And as I stood there and looked up at the cross and saw my older brother hadn't taken my place, I knew that at that point I was free to make the rest of that journey home.
That same initiating love, that same invitation, that same journey lies before each and every single one of us. When we come to that cross and we see Jesus, our older brother, placed on that cross, paying the price so that we could continue that journey home, at that point, we have seen the cost that it has cost our Father God, our older brother Jesus, to make that possible. As I said, as Tim Keller referred to, he said that Jesus was stripped naked so we could receive. He was cast out, he was sent out so that we could be brought in. He paid the penalty so we didn't have to. God initiates, we repent, but then Jesus pays the price. Before we can see any change in in the world around us through the gospel, we have to realize there needs to be a change in our heart first. It can't just be head knowledge, it has to be heart knowledge. Heart truly understanding God's grace. We have to see it, we have to feel it, we have to believe it. Our life has to reflect it. Only then have we really seen that price. And without understanding that, that, that God's grace in our hearts, we won't bear any fruit. And so at that point, I'm just going to invite the band up, wherever they are. And I'm going to I'll just invite you guys to stand up as well. And I'm just going to pray. <clears throat> Would you just uh, bow your heads and close your eyes and I'll just pray. Father God, I just want to thank you that you do initiate. You have come after each and every single one of us. You call us to repent, not just of the the bad things we've done, but also the, the reason for the good things. The believing that we need to add to what you've already done. But most importantly, Father, I just thank you for the price that you have paid to make it possible, the extent, the expense that you have, have not spared in order for us to make this journey home. And as I pray, I, I just want to invite you, if you know that there's something not right, you're a little bit disconnected from God. If you're feeling like you're needing to earn that and make it up to God, or you're needing to repent harder, you're needing to do something harder, and you're not realizing that it's entirely paid for you, it's entirely covered, if you believe that this stuff is in your head but not totally in your heart, that you're loved, accepted, and forgiven, I want to invite you to know that that stuff has been nailed to the cross. Now, if that's you, I just want to encourage you where you are just to, to raise your hand, almost like just saying, God, that's me. Thank you, Jesus. And in a few moments, I'll, I'll come back up and I'll invite us forward for prayer. But where you are, whatever picture wants to, God wants to give you, he is inviting you home. And he has made it possible for you to make the whole journey home. Thank you, Jesus.